0: It's history time. Well, hello history listeners. Have I got a show in store for you today? Well, we've just done the first week of our look at the causes of World War II and our new topic. And what we're going to do is we're going to have a little jog back through the main parts of our first week looking at Hitler's foreign policy aims having a little think about what role other people played in the causes of World War II and then looking in some detail at his actions, the things he got up to, the naughty man, that led to World War II. So, what we'll do, we'll start off with a quick look at his foreign policy aims. Hitler was a, quite a simple man in a lot of ways, he had three main aims. Okay? The first one, number one, Lebensraum, living space. Hitler wanted living space in Eastern Europe and he'd been talking about this since 1923 when he wrote in Mein Kampf about the need to take land in the east and he had his eye on Czechoslovakia he had his eye on on Poland and he also had his beady eye on Russia as well eventually if he could and as I say the aim was to try and capture more land he felt that Germany was too confined um, too restrained by uh, by the Treaty of Versailles and that brings us on nicely to foreign policy aim number two break the treaty of versailles obviously hitler felt this was very unjust he couldn't believe that he that germany had actually lost world war 1 and he thought that the Allies had been far too harsh on Germany and remember he thought the Treaty of Versailles was a conspiracy that had been cooked up between the Allies and people he saw as the November criminals, big traitors in Germany, the democratic politicians. So he was determined to get rid of the Treaty of Versailles and unite all the German-speaking people that had been separated by it. Remember, huge chunks of land had been taken from Germany and given to other countries and Hitler wanted to reunite them into one German-speaking Greater Germany. And foreign policy aim number three, well, that was quite simple, really. Defeat communism. He'd done it within his own country, and he wanted to make sure that communists wouldn't rear their ugly heads in other countries as well, particularly in Eastern Europe, because that is where he wanted to take land. So, three aims. Lebensraum, break the Treaty of Versailles, and defeat communism. There's no doubt that those three aims, Hitler certainly did a lot to meet. So what we're going to do now is we're going to look at Hitler's foreign policy actions, we've seen his aims, now his actions. So we're going to start with 1933, Hitler comes to power, one of the first things he does is engage Germany in a huge rearmament program. And at first it's done secretly, because remember, he's not powerful enough to openly break the Treaty of Versailles at this point. By 1935, He's open and public about it, and he has a huge rearmament rally in 1935 where he broadcasts to the German people and to the world, look at what I have created, I have a big, powerful army here, and he starts to show people the strength that he's generating. It's worth bearing in mind at that stage that although the Luftwaffe is getting a lot stronger and the German army is certainly a lot stronger and conscription has been reintroduced, it's worth bearing in mind that it's still not powerful um, or powerful enough for him to to, to perhaps uh, wage full-scale war yet and that's probably not his intention either at this stage and he certainly looks to take land through other means as we'll see so rearmament big issue after he's uh, begun his rearmament program he starts to look for expansion and to start with he actually does that democratically Um, you may remember that during the treaty of versailles the saarland was taken from germany and, and uh, they were it was kept by the league of nations for 15 years or so and then in 1934 they held a plebiscite a vote and the vote was simple for the people of the saar they had to decide are we going to join france or are we going to go back to germany and they with a big majority, voted in favour of rejoining Germany. And that was a huge triumph for Hitler because it showed to the world and it showed to the German people that uh, the Saar region had faith in him and they would rather rejoin Germany than go to France. And Hitler saw that as a huge, huge propaganda victory and he used that uh, to argue how, how, how well he'd done in his first year or so in power. So the Saar rejoined Germany in 1934. Now, time for a quick advert break. Ladies and gentlemen, buy history books. Buy history books. History books tell you about history. So, buy history books. Following that, Hitler then, uh, his next triumph was was the remilitarization of the Rhineland. And this happened in 1936. Again, you'll remember that the Rhineland was demilitarized under the Treaty of Versailles in 1919, and basically meant that the Germans weren't allowed to put any armed forces in that region. So in 1936, Hitler saw the opportunity to actually put his armed forces into that region to test the British and French resolve. Were they going to defend the Treaty of Versailles or not? Well, why did Hitler go for it in 1936? This is where your contextual knowledge comes in. Hopefully, you remember that in 1935, Italy invaded Abyssinia, and the League of Nations, Britain and France in particular, were so busy dealing with that as it went through 1935 into 1936, that Hitler thought he had the opportunity to march into the Rhineland whilst everyone was focusing on the Abyssinian crisis. So, with everyone focused in on Mussolini and his actions in Abyssinia, Hitler decided that he would send his troops into the Rhineland. Now. This was a big show of power, and again, a lot of it was done for propaganda purposes. But there was a serious point behind it as well. Hitler did want to test the resolve of the British and French. He wanted to know, would they stand up and defend the treaty? And hopefully, as you remember, they didn't. They did not defend the Treaty of Versailles. They simply let him march in there. Well, France was quite concerned about it, and some people in France did want to take action. The complication was, at that time, there were elections going on in France, and it was not a popular move to take France into war just when there's an election happening. So, the French, well, they decided they wouldn't act without British support. Back in Britain, the attitude was generally one of, well, we don't want another war again, thank you very much. Gain confidence from this victory. Again, he used it for great propaganda purposes. Hitler also had another big success in 1936, when uh, the Rome-Berlin Axis was signed. And this formalised the new warm friendship between Mussolini-Hitler and the two fascist countries they represented. And this would be obviously a huge problem for the Allies in the uh, run up to World War II, as they were now not only taking on Germany potentially, but also Italy. This then became even worse in 1937 with the formation of the Anti Comintern Pact, the Anti Communist International uh, Pact, when Italy, Germany, and Japan all agreed that they were going to stop the spread of communism. So, the next big event, 1937. Well, Hitler decided he was going to get involved in the Spanish Civil War. The Spanish Civil War had been raging since 1936 and uh, Hitler thought this was a great opportunity, not only to uh, support the fascists who were fighting the communists, he could also therefore defeat the communists and help to stop the spread of communism, as was one of his aims, but perhaps most importantly, he could test out his new weapons that he'd been building. And there was no doubt when the world saw his new uh, army and particularly his Luftwaffe in action, there was fear around the world. Cities like Guernica in Spain were completely leveled by the German Luftwaffe and the best that Britain and France could do was look on in fear and hope that they could avoid a war because there was no doubt that this second war, if it came, would be a war unlike anything they'd ever seen before. Hitler, of course, drew great confidence from the Spanish Civil War and, knowing that he was now feared because of his military strength, he decided that he would plan his next move, his next attempt to get some Lebensraum. Now time for another advert break. Yo, 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 this is Rulio, coming soon, the best hits of Rulio on podcast. Get it in stores soon. Now in 1934 Hitler had actually tried to take over Austria and he'd been prevented by Mussolini but of course a lot has uh, actually happened since that point. Mussolini and Hitler were now in an alliance, they were actually quite good friends and well Hitler had nothing, no boundary really to stop him now attacking Austria. But of course he didn't really want to attack them, he had a a great like for Austria, he he certainly was Austrian himself, wasn't he? So he didn't really want to just wage full-scale war, and he was actually quite clever in the way he played this one. So in 1938, he launched a bid for the Anschluss, the joining of Germany and Austria, and hopefully again you remember this was banned under the Treaty of Versailles, specifically said way back in 1919 that they should not be able to join in a political union. However, Hitler of course, well he has... No regard for the Treaty of Versailles, and certainly no regard for, for for the Allies who were set to defend it. So, this is how Hitler went about it. First of all, he started encouraging uh, the Austrian Chancellor, Schuschnigg, Kurt Kar- K- Schuschnigg, to, uh, to, to, to form this Anschluss, to form a union with Germany. And when he resisted, Hitler decided he'd make life difficult for Schuschnigg. So he encouraged the Austrian Nazis to hold demonstrations, and violence, and protest, and to basically just cause as much problems, as much unrest in Austria as they could. Well, Kurt Schusnig This basically ripped his country apart, and uh, there was huge, huge, huge concern in Austria at this time, amongst the general population, about what was going on. And a lot of people agreed with the idea of Anschluss. I mean, Austria had been ripped apart from Hungary following the Treaty of Saint-Germain in 1919, and many Austrian people felt that they they needed to be part of some sort of greater country in order to survive. They were also suffering from the Depression. They'd seen how how Hitler had coped with the Depression uh, in Germany and wanted the same thing. They wanted a little piece of Hitler's prosperity pie. And so they decided that perhaps joining with, with Germany was a good idea. Not only the prosperity and, and, and obviously the, the, the military power that would bring them, but also, of course, remember, Austrians and Germans, they had a certain shared culture as well. And for, for a lot of those people, the idea of journey, joining with Germany was not that alien at all. And certainly his, having Hitler as a as an Austrian in charge of Germany made it even more appealing. So... Faced with this uh, unrest in his country, Schuschnigg decided he would hold a plebiscite and he intended that the Austrian people would vote no to Anschluss and this would put an end to it once and for all. Only problem for Schuschnigg, as you'll remember, was that the vote didn't go his way. 99.75% of Austrians voted uh, in favour of Anschluss and as a result of that, um, Hitler saw that he had the, the, the agreement of the Austrian people and the Anschluss happened. But... It wasn't quite as simple as that, and hopefully, you'll remember the reason one of the reasons why the vote was as high as that was because two days before the Anschluss, Hitler sent his troops in austria to uh, keep an eye on the voting and to make sure there was no trouble of course that was complete rubbish the real reason his troops were there was to intimidate and coerce people into voting in favor of the Anschluss. and you'll remember hopefully that, that lots of um, german soldiers were posted at the polling stations and that, that, that there are question marks over whether the voting was rigged or not or whether it was counted properly and it's no doubt 99.75 percent of people that is a huge majority unlike anything else that's really happened in such circumstances so, it w- probably wasn't a fair reflection of the Austrian people, although you can't forget that a lot of Austrian people did want this Anschluss to go ahead. But Hitler was quite clever in the way he did it. A shot hadn't been fired. He'd done it without resorting to violence. Okay, he'd used the military, but as he tried to claim, he was only there to protect the Austrian people. So, he'd been very clever. Well, what did Britain and France do about it? They were. C- so, well, what happens next in this exciting story? what does hitler do does he really misbehave really badly does he get put on the naughty step the britain and france step in with some hardcore sanctions well i'm not going to tell you now you'll have to tune in next time to find out so thank you very much for listening i hope you've enjoyed listening as much as i have making and editing and making and editing and making and editing this so i will bid you all farewell and i look forward to seeing you all again in your next history lesson And I should just mention, today's secret message is Kurt Schuschnigg. Today's secret message is Kurt Schuschnigg. If you really want to impress me and prove that you have been listening to this podcast, simply tell me Kurt Schuschnigg and I'll give you my face of, I'm impressed. As a special treat for you, here's my rapping homie, Miss Little, with a lovely rap about the League of Nations. The League of Nations was a good idea, but the USA didn't join. Oh, dear. The League went to pieces, and so did the treaties, and that was the end. Oh, dear. OK, thank you again for listening, and goodbye. That was History Time. <coughs>